I've chosen to look at Lord's Day 9 with you this afternoon. Lord's Day 9 is about God the Father and our creation. We'll read a couple passages in connection with Lord's Day 9. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 33. Our focus in Lord's Day 9 will be on the counsel of God, or the eternal plan, the purpose of God, and Psalm 33 speaks of that in verses such as verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. Let's read this psalm. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of men. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observe, observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Then we'll also turn to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 10, and we'll read verse 26 to 33. Jesus has been talking about the ministry of the apostles as they go out and spread the word of Christ to the country around them and eventually to the nations. He talks also about the persecution that will come on those who preach Christ. And then he encourages his disciples and also us saying, so have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. 
So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. I was given a free choice for preaching on the Catechism this afternoon, so I chose Lord's Day 9, page 525 in the Book of Praise. Lord's Day 9 is part of the explanation of the Apostles' Creed, the 12 articles of our faith, and about God the Father in our creation. We confess there from God's word, what do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and who still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father. In him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul, and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. He is able to do so as Almighty God, and willing also as a faithful Father. Beloved in Christ, do you have any plans for this week? Maybe you've got an agenda in your purse, or a calendar on your phone. And there you might see what amounts to a plan. There's probably some appointments jotted down for this week, a list of things to do, plans to call a few people. Besides all the regular hours ahead of you of being in school, or maybe not, working, being retired, plans are good. They give us something to go on when Monday morning rolls around and we need to get out of bed. Well, God has a plan too. He's got a direction for this universe, and his plan, we'll hear this afternoon, is comprehensive. It includes all kinds of important world events, but also every detail of the lives of his little children, even you and me. Now, our plans for tomorrow can change for all kinds of reasons. We get in a small accident with the car, there goes our day. We wake up feeling sick, maybe there's a family crisis, and our whole day changes. Life is always surprising us, but God's plan already includes all of it. We see this in Lord's Day 9. It describes the almighty and ever-present power of God, the Father Almighty, and it says that God upholds and governs all things by his eternal counsel and providence. And this afternoon, we want to focus on that word counsel. It has a meaning for us, usually in the sense of advice, wise words that shape someone's actions. Like when we're making a decision, we might say that we are seeking someone's counsel. Now, God needs no input from anyone. He has his own counsel. So that means God does everything according to his own direction. Listen to what Ephesians 1:11 says, that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. God's counsel is his own wise plan 
for governing all things in a perfect way. We can't see God's plan. We're not allowed to peek at his calendar. We have no idea what will happen tomorrow or next year. His counsel is far beyond us, and yet we are reassured, beloved. We are reassured because it's the counsel of the God who has become our Father in Jesus Christ. This is our theme from Lord's Day 9. I can rest in my Father's perfect plan. We'll see that his counsel is eternal, total, and personal. Now, whenever we talk about God, we realize how limited our understanding is, or we should realize that. God's greatness is all-surpassing, his glory beyond comprehension. The scriptures reveal enough to us about God to know him and believe in him, confess him, and yet our words for God always fall short. Talking about God is like describing a summer evening sunset to someone who is blind. What would you say to someone who's never been able to see? How can you capture in words the blazing glory of that red and orange disc as it slowly slips toward the horizon? How do you describe those radiant colors cast everywhere where words fail to convey the whole picture? Even more so, if the person you're talking to is blind, how can they imagine something as spectacular as a sunset? Well, this afternoon, we're the blind ones, as Scripture describes a little of God's glory. His ways are past finding out. Also, when we think about God's counsel, Psalm 33, 11 says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. Forever, eternal. For us, those are hard words. Because we are creatures, we always think in terms of measurable time. We picture the hands on a clock. That's time for us. We picture a calendar on the wall. Even eternity, we divide into past and future. Eternity past is that boundless time before creation when there was just God and nothing else. And eternity future, we say, is that everlasting time beyond the second coming of Christ when we will dwell for God, with God for years without end. But eternity, forever, is actually much more than that. It's deeper than a simple past and future. Eternity is being without time. Eternity is a constant, unceasing present. When there's not history on the one hand and the future on the other, but everything is now. To the eternal God, all of time is immediate, concurrent. He is the first and the last, and he is everywhere in between. This is related to how God is immutable or unchangeable. For you and I, change happens with the passing of moments. For us, many moments fill each day, every year, and so we get older and grayer. 
We make gradual progress on one thing and we diminish in something else. Well, what if no moments ever go by? Then there's no change. That's the Lord. Because he is outside of time, nothing can happen that makes him change his thinking. There's never a need for God to alter his plans or revise his counsel. There's no need for God to drop a plan B. This is why when the eternal, everlasting God looks at time, the scripture says there's no difference between a day and a thousand years. They're the same to him. Now to us, of course, there's a huge difference between, say, living this day and living a thousand years ago in the year 1023 in the heart of the Middle Ages. You can't even imagine a world without electricity and cell phones and flush toilets. But to God, there's no difference between today and a thousand years ago. It's all now. The constant present. Now, I realize as I'm saying this, it's like trying to describe a sunset to the blind. So let's try to make it more real with reference to Lord's Day 9. God is eternal, and his counsel is eternal. This means that God has always known what is happening and what will happen. He knows about it, whether we're talking about yesterday, today, or tomorrow. He knows it, and more than that, God governs it. God's counsel is his vision for all time, his vision for the world. His counsel is what God is pleased to accomplish in this universe. God holds his counsel with full understanding and perfect wisdom. Now, when you and I have a decision to make a big decision, maybe we start jotting down our thoughts. You do a brain dump, they call it, or you, you draw a mind map. You're thinking about what college to go to, or what car to buy, or what person to hire for your business, and you break it all down into columns of pros and cons and intangibles, and you muddle through until you have a decision, which may or may not be the right one. God doesn't do that. God doesn't need to. He's the only wise God. He sees every outcome of every event. He knows every development and obstacle along the way. He identifies at once the very best path to reach a goal. This is what Isaiah says, the Lord of hosts is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. And if God makes his plans in that perfect wisdom, there's never a need for him to delay his projects or second guess. God wills and God faithfully does. Prophet Isaiah says again, I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. God's plans are faithful and dependable. 
And by contrast, beloved, think of your own plans. Proverbs 19, 21 puts it this way, there are many plans in a man's heart, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Isn't that so true to life? There are many plans in a man's heart. Even this afternoon, while you're sitting in church, you might be mulling over some of your plans, plans for your career or your business. You're thinking of plans for your home. You've got social plans for tonight, plans for the summer holidays. We'll say this, planning is responsible thing to do. God gives us time here on earth. He gives us a set of opportunities and a calling to live for him. We plan because God has given us the ability to plan. Keep doing that, led by his spirit. If you'll run the race, you need to have a clear sense of where you're going. But when it comes to our planning, we need humility. Our best plans the plan that you spent hours on, even years preparing for, can collapse in a heap. It's like the saying, man proposes, but God disposes. You and I might settle on a course of action, have all our ducks in a row, as they say, but God can scatter all our little ducklings in a flash. Proverbs 16 verse 9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Maybe our plans fail because we didn't really pray over them or seek God's blessing. Or our plans falter for lack of ability. You just don't have what it takes to get it done. Or we lose interest and we move on. Or think of how our own sin gets in the way too. We once started down a good path, but we ruin it by our sin and failing. So what an encouragement to know that God's counsel stands. We need that to count on. God knows that almost everything in our life is actually uncertain. Our health is uncertain our happiness, our place in this world. It's all very uncertain. So God gives us an anchor for the soul. In Christ, he becomes our father. And he assures us as our father that his plans will endure. Reassures us that he's in charge of every event and that he manages every outcome. Trust in God. For all his counsels are faithfulness and truth. And this does give us the precious gift of stability. We look around this world, and there are many reasons to be anxious. Right now, we wonder how much worse the wickedness and the rebellion of our country can get. Or maybe we worry about where all this artificial intelligence stuff is going to bring us as a human race. You can be pretty sure that it will be used for good, but also for great evil. You ever think about what kind of world your children 
will be living in 20 years from now. We think about the future of the church and a society that cares so little for God. Lots to worry about. There's lots to keep us up at night. And then in our fear, we read Psalm 33 again, verse 10 and 11. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. God tells us not to fear for tomorrow or next year. Don't fear what the wicked will do. Don't fret about the plans of sinners. Instead, rest yourself in the perfect will of your Father. His counsel is eternal. His good purpose for you is unchanging. Think about this. God knows about the end of something long before we've even come to its beginning. God has foreseen every trend. God tracks every movement. He guides every moment. From before the world's foundation, God has been working out his good plan to save. So whatever happens, we're not beyond his reach or outside his view. His counsel is eternal. It's also total. Every year, the government releases its new budget, what they plan to spend. I think most of us think of the budget in very vague terms, like a really big pie cut into many different slices. The government will spend this much on national defense and so much on health care and so on. But the budget document is more than just a big piece of pie. It's actually very specific about what's going to be spent. Not quite down to the last paperclip, but pretty close. That's why the federal budget is usually several inches thick or even a few volumes. That's a good picture for God's counsel. God's plan is not general, but comprehensive and total in its sweep, specific. The Lord says in Isaiah 46:10, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. You're not restricted in anything he does. Or as Proverbs 16:4 puts it, the Lord has made all for himself. Yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. There are no loose ends in God's world. Nothing left to chance. Nothing forgotten. Let's connect that again to the Father's character. We said God's counsel is eternal because he is eternal. And God's counsel is total because God himself is completely sovereign. His decree is always the last word. We quoted earlier Ephesians 1, that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things. We also read from Matthew 10. Jesus is talking there about persecution, but the possibility of being called to suffer for the faith. 
He encourages us with this picture of God's sovereignty in Matthew 10. He says, Matthew 10, verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. A sparrow was one of the most unimportant creatures that a person would bother to think of. At the market, you could buy a couple of sparrows for a light snack. Cooking them was just enough effort for a small tidbit of food. And those two sparrows for your light lunch would cost you maybe a fraction of an hour's wage, a copper coin. Sparrows were barely worth mentioning. But did God overlook them? Were they too small to care about? Do sparrows and starlings and Canada geese actually matter to God? Yes, says Jesus. God knows the sparrows. And he knows the wildflowers and the raindrops. God knows all the stuff in your day planner. And he also knows everything that's not in your day planner. All the surprises. His counsel is total. It includes all things, like Lord's Day 10 will describe leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Indeed, all things come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Now, believe it or not, some people object to this teaching. Some say that God's counsel only relates to his plan of salvation. That's what God is really concerned about, after all, redeeming sinners through his Son. They say that we should not picture God as this micromanager in the sky, as if God is concerned about absolutely everything in this world, even the tiny and the temporary. Compare it to our finance minister in Ottawa and his big budget. He doesn't really care about those paper clips in the government office up there in the Yukon. He has better things to do. Why should the Almighty God then care about the hairs of my head? Is it really worth his attention? And then what about the bad things people wonder? That's another hard question. God hates sin, so how can God will that that happens? How can God make planes crash into the ocean and earthquakes destroy whole villages? Surely that kind of thing is outside his good plan. Well, Acts 17, 28 tells us the truth that in God we live and move and have our being. Not saying that our entire existence is wrapped up in the care of God. Our every breath, our every motion, every second, he works all things according to his counsel. Even the appalling things, the horrific, the painful, they are part of God's plan. Think of the worst miscarriage of justice that there ever was. 
the most shocking murder, the trial and crucifixion of God's own son. The Bible tells us that this happened in full agreement with God's purpose. Peter prays about this in Acts 4, speaking about what Herod and Pilate, the Gentiles and the Israelites had done. And Peter says there, in conspiring against your holy servant Jesus, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. From a human point of view, it was the greatest tragedy, a sin committed in the worst unbelief. It ended with the death of the Son of God. And yet it was, according to God's plan. He willed it. Maybe we can accept that for what happened to Christ. That was God's plan all along, we know, from Genesis 3. Or we can say... That's God's plan when we see the carnage of natural disasters, or even when godlessness gains momentum. We say, yes, this is part of God's plan. Jesus said things like this would happen. But brothers and sisters, what about the hard things that happen to us? In our own difficulties and losses, isn't it way more difficult to speak of God's counsel Isn't this confession in Lord's Day 9 suddenly a lot harder when we've been knocked down and bitterly disappointed? In our tears, don't we start to wonder? We wonder about God's fatherly hands. Does he see me? Does he hear me? Does God want this? Cancer that strikes down a young father or mother Dementia that takes away a fertile mind. Deep depression that robs a person of all joy. A pregnancy that ends in a child's death. Strife that rips apart a family. A loved one that gets enslaved by his sin. Besides all that, there are things in our life that we would never have chosen for ourselves. Maybe you're taking a very different path today than you had planned. And it's far harder. It involves heartache, maybe a frustrating job or a broken dream, many regrets. And we wonder, is this what God wanted for me? Was this his good plan? Did God decide even this beforehand? And it is his eternal counsel. In God alone, we live and move and have our being. But we don't turn divine providence into this whatever happens theology. We shouldn't just say, well, it is what it is. Might as well forget all our planning and praying. That's not the response of faith. We need the response of a quiet trust in God our Father. We believe in this God who is directing everything and we believe in him as infinitely wise, immensely gracious, a God who is good all the time. We trust in him because it's our Father 
in Christ, who has this perfect counsel, our Father, who governs all things. Finally, his counsel is personal. Does Almighty God care about your struggles? Does God actually know about the concerns on your heart today? Is God really prepared to give you courage after another failure? Will God actually guide you in the decision you have to make this week? Well, the words of our Savior cannot be more clear. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. We are of more value, untold value. In God's counsel, we're not unseen. We're not minor blips on the radar. His care for us, his care for you, is intensely personal. Think of this, God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son into the world to die for us. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have life everlasting. That tells us at once that God's counsel must always be good. This saving God wants what is beneficial for his people. He does only those things that will make our salvation more sure. The text is familiar, yet so true in Romans 8. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. He works for our good desires that absolutely everything in our life would serve that one goal, that we would be his children and that we would walk with him. We can say with the catechism, in him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. Even out of the most rotten situations, out of all the mess caused by our own sin, God can bring blessing, can bring deliverance. That's the power of God, to change evil into good, to redeem us from any trouble. Now, I realize that we can say this kind of thing too easily, especially when we are talking to a hurting and suffering person, we quickly offer a cliche because that's easy. We say, in this, God has a purpose. God will work all for good. Only we don't see it always, and we should not expect to see it always. Just think of how God's counsel is eternal. God has been accomplishing things from before the foundation of the world. Think of how his counsel is total as well, meaning that one event is linked to another event in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. 
Our God is working on a schedule that is far bigger than our weekly day planning, much longer than our 80-year life. So should we always expect to see the final product? Can we predict how God will work out this tragedy or this disappointment for good? Can we say with confidence why this horrible thing happened to me? Or why this evil happened to that family? Sometimes we will see the reason. And that can be a beautiful thing. We see how an illness brings a person closer to God. How a failed plan here leads to a new opportunity there. How even a shameful sin can be the beginning of something better. Sometimes we see the purpose. But let's be humble when we think about God's counsel. We're just little children. And he's the wise father. His ways are higher than our ways. But we can trust in him. God has told us that he has a plan for us. Plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Plans to give us a future and a hope. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are worth more than many sparrows. And he will not let us fall. Amen.